This podcast contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Creepy Cannabis Podcast, where we chat all things creepy, cannabis, true crime, paranormal, and weird, and literally the fact that my voice always cracks when I say creepy (laughs) is the creepiest part. (laughs) Well, (laughs) like, why? It's always like, creepy. We tried to start recording, and then my dumbass was like, so how about the weather? Like, I just wanted to have a conversation. Oh, by the way, I'm Rachel. Oh, I'm Emma. Did I say that? No. I'm Madeline. And once you're done, please pass the lighter because okay. I also have needs. I'm lighting her up. All right. The strain today is Granddaddy Perp, which. Mm. Hold. Bless. Um, which I've done in, um, like, I've done a couple strains who, you know, originate from GDP, Granddaddy Perp. And I think I did a cartridge like early on in the in our history, but um, never the flower. So Granddaddy Perp um, or GDP or mm-hmm. Granddaddy Perps oh. is a heavy indica dominant strain uh, crossing Big Bud and Purple Urkel. Um, it's said to be the grandfather of all weed strains. It's one of the most famous. Um, it usually has like 20 to 27, um, THC level, usually averaging about 1% CBD. Um, it's really good for chronic pain, muscle spasms, insomnia, appetite loss, like typical indica dominant, um, reliefs. And... The aroma is, like, slightly sweet, grapey, um, kind of berry-hinted with, uh, like, a spicy pungency on the end. So. I can't smell anything because sinuses, so I'll just have to bleed you today. We'll leave that. If I sound crusty, I was COVID-tested and strep-tested. I just have shitty sinuses. I just... I'm, I'm just die. going to pass away. What was the phrase you said the other day? And I was like, oh my god, that's our new phrase. It was so good. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> no. It was a one and done. <coughs> Only for us. We'll have to listen back. Okay. So, this is going to be a, a thick one. A thick boy. She thick. Oh, he's thick. Okay, got it. Well, a thick girl or a thick boy. It could be anything at once. It could be whatever. What yeah. However it identifies. Um, it's fine with us. <laughs> So, the Velisca Axe Murder House, or the Velisca Axe Murders, is a famous, um, it's basically like a famous murder house similar to, what's that fucking one in New York? Madam. Madam something. <laughs> oh, well, Madam LaLaurie. She had like a- That, we did an episode on her. Um, oh, no, her house was haunted. The LaLaurie Mansion that we went to in New Orleans. That no, 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 no. There was one you did, and the lady, like, had it reconstructed, like, a hundred times over her lifetime. Oh, she didn't kill anyone. Oh. Okay. No, she was just, like, crazy. She <clears throat> kept building onto the house, and then, like, I don't think she killed anyone. I don't think she did either, actually. <laughs> um, anyway, now there's a, that creepy, I don't think it's a murder house. Whatever. Anyway. There's another one. Um, wait, who's that girl that killed her parents? Lizzie Borden. Yeah, the Lizzie Borden. Her, her house is famous. Oh, anyway. so sorry. My dog is really barking. Please forgive Unrelated me. to any of those is the <laughs> Velisca <laughs> Connected in no way whatsoever. Um, is this house. So we'll dive into the background. In the early 1900s in Velisca, Iowa. Oh, fucking Iowa. Mm-hmm, which is a Midwestern town of about 2,500 people. You know, so it was flourishing, thriving. I was on an inhale, and so determined not to laugh and cough in everyone's face. Um, so, yeah, businesses lined the streets. There were several dozen trains that pulled in and out of the depot on a daily basis, so truly thriving. 
Um, and yeah, uh, apparently Villisca means like pretty place or pleasant view. Ooh. So, you know, let's talk about this axe murder. <laughs> 1912. Um, the town built the only publicly founded armory in the state of Iowa. Um, the company housed there participated in the 1906 Mexican Expedition, World War One, and World War Two, as well as the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Okay. okay. Wow. So during World War Two, Montgomery County lost more men per capita than any other county in the United States. That's wild. And Villisca surely contributed several of their own to that number. But from the <clears> wars <throat> and stuff. Yeah. Like, okay, more so more men per capita than any other county in America died. Bye. In the wars. In World War II. Um, <clears throat> so, unfortunately for the citizens of this close-knit community, these accomplishments will basically forever be overshadowed by the <laughs> horrific deaths of eight of their own. Hmm. So, on, ju- on June 10th, 1912. Oh, in the summer. Who's um, angry in the summer? Everyone's angry in the summer. Murder and crime goes up in the summer because yeah, everyone's hot. They didn't have air back then. Yeah, trust me. Everyone oh my god, is angry in the summer. Oh my god, if I was living in that stagnant ass air, oh my god, I would probably be so mad. Yeah. Like, you're just too cold to... Oh. We're gonna need multiple lighters in here. Um. Yeah, we are. We used to have them. I don't know what happened. Uh, 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 uh. So, <clears throat> the Moore family, a well-known and well-liked um, family had um basically they were found the entire family as well as two overnight guests were found murdered in their beds and oh i know the story oh really i do and um apparently someone's like made a parallel that it's not um pretty place but it's uh the indian word wuliska which means evil spirit. Oh, shit. So, interesting. Those are um, polar opposites. Yeah, very, 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 okay. very different. I was like, that's not Pretty place, like, evil pretty spirit. Pretty place or, like, cute place. So it could be either one. I'm going to go with evil spirit, yeah. seeing as... It sounds like it. Um, But, yeah, to this day, these murders are unsolved. Mm-hmm. And... Um, even though, like, a, a number of Velisca's historic buildings have been demolished, <clears throat> the Axe Murder House has been placed on the National Registry of Historic Buildings. Literally, there's a sign out front. It ain't going nowhere. And um, the owners return the home to its original condition and hope that renewed interest in the mystery will help the city heal. I mean, I don't really know how, because no one's in motherfucking jail. But... Mm. But you're going to benefit financially. That's great for you. Yes, correct. So, Villisca is located in Montgomery County, Iowa, southwest of the county seat of Red Oak, and very close to Viking Lake State Park. Oh. Okay. Viking Lake. It's a lot of identifiers. And I guess on July 1st, 1999, the population was 11,000. 707, so that's an increase from before. Yeah, wasn't there like 2,500 before? Well, that was in 1912. Oh, wait, and what year did you just say? 1999. Okay, the thing <clears throat> is, um, I did my best. Uh-oh. And then it says, okay, this is, this is an interesting turn. Their population in 1990 was approximately 1,332. And then nine years later, it jumped up 10,000, roughly. You know, I feel like they put an extra one in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they meant 1,000 instead of 11,000. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah, I think they fucked that up because that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, it's four square kilometers wide, which I guess is a lot or a little. Could be either <laughs> one. Not really sure. <laughs> I have yes. no idea. And the largest, closest metropolitan area is Des Moines. In Omaha, Nebraska. So fucking Nebraska. What are you? Are you guys okay? The middle of nowhere. No, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Anybody from Nebraska? Just let us know you're okay. They're okay. Um, long before any serial killers and mass murderers had become well known in American society, 
Two adults and six children were found brutally murdered in their beds in this small Midwestern town. And basically during the weeks that followed the life in this town, life as they knew it changed drastically. I fucking say so. I mean, yeah. Small towns, once they get rocked by something, like, traumatic, they really never recover. Correct. So. I have to sneeze so bad. Go ahead. It won't come out. (laughs) To go back a little bit. In 1994, Darwin and Martha Lynn uh, purchased the former home... Of these murder victims, the house was returned to its original condition, like I said, and um, it's really tragic that we'll never really know what happened um, in the house of JB and Sarah Moore that night, because obviously the murderers were never caught, and many years have passed uh, since 1912, (laughs) so not really sure that they're going to, we're we're probably never going to know. And basically, like, obviously it's 1912. People want to talk. They began to distinguish and identify themselves, everyone in the town, by who they believed committed the crime. So it was like everyone fucking against each other. Friendships became strained um, and in many cases irrevocably, I can't say that word, broken. (laughs) The town stood and um, basically it was just really divided. I mean, that's terrifying. Like, you know, I'm grateful that nowadays, like, we have, well, no, they have guns too. But I'm like, I just want to be axe murdered is what I'm trying to get at. Like, there's other options. And how did no one hear the other one being axe murdered? Well, June 9th, 1912, Lena and Ina. Oh, okay. Okay, Lena and Ina. Ina, maybe? Probably Ina. Um, Stillinger, the daughters of Joseph and Sarah left their home for church early Sunday morning. They planned on having dinner with their grandmother after the morning service, spending the afternoon with her and returning to their home to spend the night after the Children's Day exercises concluded. Children's Day must have been an event, probably at school. The girls, however, were invited um, by Catherine Moore to spend the night at the Moore home instead. Um... And Mr. Moore called the house to ask permission for the girls to stay overnight. Fucked up. So they died. Oh. And. They had no way of knowing. I know. Blanche, Lena, and Ina's older sister told Mr. Moore that her parents were both outdoors, but she would pass the message along to them. So, um, uh, the Children's Day program at the church <laughs> was an annual event, and it started at 8 p.m. on Sunday evening. According to witnesses, Sarah Moore coordinated the exercises. All the Moore children, as well as the Stillinger girls, participated in the events. Josiah Moore sat in the congregation. The program ended at 9.30 p.m., and then the Moore family, along with the two sisters, walked home from the church, and they got home like 9.45, 10 o'clock. What kind of children's event starts at 8 p.m.? For a church, nonetheless. Yes, Jesus appreciates a good eight hours of sleep. Uh, I know. I know he does. The following morning at approximately 5 a.m., the Moore's next-door neighbor stepped into her yard to hang laundry. At 7 a.m., she realized <clears throat> that not only had the Moore's not been outside, nor the chores, like, been started, but the house itself seemed, like, really still and empty. Ew. Which, like, at 7 a.m., you're noticing that? Jesus. Well, this bitch has been up since 5 or something, probably. She has. Like, this was such a responsible time that because somebody didn't do their chores, their neighbor was like, oh, They were shit. like, someone's dead. Meanwhile, my neighbors were like, please cut your fucking grass just once. Uh, okay. One time. <clears throat> Between 7 and 8 a.m., she approached the house and knocked on the door. When she received no response, she attempted to open the door, only to find it locked. And after letting out the chickens, doing their chores... She placed a call to Josiah's brother. Um, Yeah, basically starting this whole incredibly mismanaged murder investigation. I mean, I'm not making excuses, but it was 1912. Look how much they struggle in 2021. (laughs) And they have fucking genetics. 
people had like fucking footprints in the sand in the alleyway and like and they had to be like the wind says <laughs> it's this loud. according to the north star we need to go due east 20 degrees <laughs> like what the fuck i'm sorry so based on the testimonies of mary the neighbor and those who saw the moors at the <clears throat> event the previous evening it's believed that sometime between midnight and 5 a.m how does anyone know midnight when they got home at 9 45 i think they're probably saying that some other people gave testimonies as well maybe like they saw their candles still lit did they have electricity in 1912? no did they i don't know oh god <laughs> <laughs> anyway moving on um <clears throat> It's believed between midnight and 5 a.m., an unknown assailant entered the home of the Moore family and brutally murdered all occupants of the house with an axe. Okay. Yeah. In 1910, less than 2% of the USA was electrified. Okay. Okay. So they probably saw that candle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when the candle went out, it was like midnight. Ow. Oh. <laughs> Why? Okay. Why? Upon what? arriving at the home of his brother, he attempted to look in a bedroom window and then knocked the door knocked on the door, shouted, um when all of that failed, he produced his keys. Not sure why you <laughs> Why would you even shout first? I mean, fuck. You have a key. He produced his if I'm coming up to your house, I literally would open the I would kick the fucking door in at four. You'd be like, I'm here, bitch. <laughs> It's time to rage. And then four minutes later, we we'll passed out on the couch from our four-minute rage. Okay, so you produced the key. Um, Fucking finally. Let me get that lighter real quick. Uh, okay. So, although the neighbor followed him onto the porch, she did not enter the house. And, yeah, when he opened the bedroom door, <clears throat> he saw two bodies on the bed and dark stains on the clothes. He returned immediately to the porch and told um, the neighbor to call the sheriff. The two bodies in the room downstairs were Lena, age 12, and her sister, Ina, age 8, the house guests of the family. The remaining number of the family were found upstairs in the bedrooms. Every person in the house had been brutally murdered. Their skulls crushed in as they slept with a fucking axe. Sweet lord. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that explains why nobody's screaming out, because it's probably, like, sudden. I mean, he probably killed the parents first, and then yeah, they're fucking kids. So, Josiah Moore, who was 43, Sarah Moore, 39, then the kids, Herman, <laughs> age 11, Catherine, 9, Boyd, <clears throat> 7, Paul, 5, and then the two guests. That's fucked up. So, once the murders were discovered, the news tra- like traveled quickly around town, obviously, and neighbors, curious onlookers, all converged on the house, um, as they did in the 1912s. <laughs> and basically, law enforcement officials immediately lost control of the crime scene. Um, it's said that up to 100 people traipsed through the house, gawking at the bodies. Gawking Who at the bodies. wants to see the bodies of dead children? Everyone in the 1900s. Fuck Everyone in the 1900s wanted to see dead bodies. I would literally... Like, they lived for it. They I, loved it. They I, ate it up. I love true crime, and I love, like, gory, scary movies. I would never want to look at You know why? Because they had children. nothing else to live for. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't see, but the intensity in her eyes. <laughs> she believed that in her soul. <laughs> they didn't even have fucking electricity. Well, they might have been part of the 2%. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, they're right in the middle of the country, so... They're they in the fucking the out- town of 1,000. They, they ain't got edges? shit. Like a puzzle? They or do they just shit. go right for the center with I'll the tell you what, the big cities had it, and these little bumfuck towns did not have shit, is what it was. Those are facts. Because bumfuck towns still don't got shit, and it's 2021. <laughs> it's so true, because when Sean and I went to Niagara Can't Falls, even get 4G! We were somewhere, like, in... <laughs> Like, New York. Super, super north New York. And every exit we got off of, we needed gas so fucking bad. It was, like, 10 p.m. Yeah. Every gas station closed. Closed. Like, closed. Fucking Can you imagine? 10 zero, zero, sharp. Like, closed. <laughs> Why? Oh, I guess I'll just stay here until morning. <laughs> I want to live in Bumbug. I want to be one of those 
cranky old bitches you pass in the scary movie, and I'm like, there he lurks. <laughs> Enter if you dare. And then these dumb fucking horny teenagers are like, that sounds great, and they go in anyway. I'll go. I want to be that bitch. <laughs> like, three teeth max. Three teeth max. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got all But yeah, this. people fucking, like, traipsing through the house, traipsing through the crime scene. <clears throat> Before the National Guard finally arrived to cordon off the area and secure the home. And basically, there, you know, the only known facts regarding the case were basically one, eight people had been bludgeoned to death, presumably with an axe. Okay, presumably with an axe <clears throat> that was that? left at the crime scene. So, not presumably, it was with the axe that was left at the crime scene. Oh, okay. Oh, the bloody axe. And they're like, you know yeah. what, though? Presumably, it's this. <laughs> <laughs> Even back in the 1920, what is it, the 10s? Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. It appeared that they had all been asleep at the time of the murders. Duh. Okay, if they were all still in their beds, they were all asleep at the time of the murders. I just don't understand. Because <laughs> if you heard someone being axe murdered, you wouldn't just lie there in, your, in the bed. That's why the, I, they... But how lucky would he have to get that each person died instantly on impact without making a noise? Well, these kids definitely shared a room, so you know it got fucked up. But... <clears throat> estimated time of death was somewhere shortly after midnight the curtains were drawn on all of the windows in the house except for two which did not have curtains at all those windows were covered with clothing belonging to the moors so they like actively covered up the windows this is just okay i have a theory real quick real quick yeah this sounds to me like this person was at their house doing this while they were at that like children's day and that they were already there when they got home oh for sure because it takes time to for like, sure do all that you know if it's just the curtains that'd be one thing like if you want to creep around at night but like mm-hmm. you're not going to come in there ready to kill and then i guess he could have done it after but then i mean who seen. was the guy uh i think btk i don't know i don't remember or the clown guy wayne gacy, gacy. one of them <clears throat> after they broke in and like murdered people and like raped them he would like go into the kitchen and like make a sandwich and chill just hang out watch tv there was one of them i have to it wasn't gacy it wasn't gacy no I think it might have been BTK. Yeah, because Gacy, he, like, people... Or even the Golden State Killer. Anyway, they do that shit. It's fucked up. If you feel confident that no one's going to come in, because you've literally killed the entire family, right? So who's going to come in until a certain time? Then, you know. Ew. So all of the victims' faces were covered with bedclothes after they were killed. Um, A kerosene lamp was found at the foot of the bed of the parents and the chimney was off and the wick had been turned back so the chimney was found under the dresser what type of chimney i'm confused am i just really high (laughs) i mean i just read it like it was made sense but it didn't so (laughs) moving on (laughs) a similar lamp was found oh it's like a lamp like a chimney oh god a kerosene lamp like that's what they called them maybe i don't know Iowa. <laughs> how do we have any listeners yeah because it said a kerosene lamp and then in, in the next thing it said the chimney was off <laughs> so it's like that's what <laughs> they're they, still uh, in iowa <laughs> so anyway the chimney was under the dresser the lamp i guess and a similar lamp was found at the foot of the get like the girls who were guests it was also off the axe was found in the room occupied by the Stillinger girls, so the guests. Um, it was bloody, but an attempt had been made to wipe it off, and the axe belonged to the family. Reason one, never to own an axe. You're literally making it easy. Yes, but also- Because you know how hard it is to walk through town with an axe and not look suspicious? But they they got it- I guess not that their hard. house, so they didn't come prepared, which is weird, but they were prepared. A lot of people do that. I mean, I say a lot of people as if <laughs> people are just getting murdered left and right, but yeah. It, or it was like, I don't know. Proceed. It was premeditated, but clearly not to the point where they brought their own weapon. But maybe they already knew it was there. Well, yeah. Everyone had an axe in 1912. <sighs> You're probably right. <clears throat> so the ceiling in the parents' bedroom and the children's room showed gouge marks made by the upswing of the axe. Ew. But then that didn't wake up the next person? I know, I'm so confused. A piece of keychain was found on the floor in the downstairs bedroom. A pan of bloody water was discovered on the kitchen table, as well as a plate of uneaten food. 
So he probably made food for himself, and I was like, I'm not hungry. That was more gross than he expected. Mm -hmm. The doors were all locked from the inside. Did he evaporate? How'd he get out? Probably through a window. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) I really forgot about the whole last one. (laughs) They're just living in fucking dungeons. (laughs) Tell me how it's supposed to breathe in the air. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> okay. <so laughs> the bodies of <clears throat> Lena and Ina, the ones that were found downstairs in the bedroom, off the parlor. So this is fucked up. Ina was sleeping closest to the wall, Lena on her right side. A gray coat was covering her face. And she lay as though she had kicked one foot out of the bed sideways with one hand up under the pillow um like a little angel yeah like she had been struck in the head and then tried to squirm down into the bed no i will murder this person um there was a blood stain on the inside of her right knee and what the doctors assumed was a defense wound on her arm so like she she woke up that is so <clears throat> sickening the coroner reported a slab of bacon on the floor in the downstairs bedroom near the axe. I have questions. Uh, weighing nearly two pounds, it was wrapped in what he thought might be a dish towel. And then a second slab of bacon, the same size, was found in the icebox. Okay, well, that makes sense. Why did you even add that part? But the fact that it was on the floor, that's weird. Near the Why axe. Why is it two pounds? Additionally. Like a big slab of bacon. Yes. Like not cut up. Like just a thick pork belly. That sounds delicious. It does sound really good. But it's a little weird. Um, And so one of Sarah's shoes was found on Josiah's side of the bed and the shoe was found... <clears throat> on its side, however, it had blood inside the shoe as well as under the shoe. And he believed that the shoe had been upright, one of the investigators, when Josiah was first struck and that the blood ran off the bed into the shoe. Ew. Oh, God. And then he re- he believed that the, the killer returned later to inflict additional blows and then knock the shoe over. Oh, that's rough. I know, that's really gross. Um, I mean, this is a bold statement that I copied. Um, people, this person says, you know, had the murders been committed today, it's almost certain that law enforcement would have been able to easily solve the crime. Potentially. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) They probably would have fucked it up less, but. (laughs) I mean, surely. Um. There wouldn't be a town of fucking 1,200 people (laughs) tracing through the house. I know, literally, who did that? We have drones, okay? We don't need to fucking get up. Um, but yeah, it's obviously like 100 years later. The murders are still a mystery. No one was ever fucking caught. They're probably long dead, um, (laughs) to be quite honest with you, because it was fucking 1912. Long dead. And... Yeah, it's important to realize that, obviously, fingerprinting um, was very new in 1912. Basically, probably non-existent. <clears throat> there was no, like, fingerprinting database for by any means. And DNA testing was unimaginable. Literally. <laughs> they literally didn't even Consider know that. what DNA was. No. They were like, we're just made of a body meat. <laughs> There's nothing smaller than that. <laughs> a body meat? <laughs> Ew. I am making merch that says body meat. <laughs> Ew. Ew. I'm going to make it like Juicy Couture <laughs> fucking meat. velour. And on your booty cheeks, it's going to say body meat. <laughs> Ew. But yeah, they were not concerned with molecules or DNA. <clears throat> no. no, they were very concerned with body meat. That's why I had two pound slabs of bacon. <laughs> I mean, the killer was. Uh, proceed. Okay. So, no central database, obviously. Um, So, even if, like, a murder (laughs) had been caught, 
be really I mean how are they even finding the fingerprints in the first place they didn't have anything back then (laughs) (coughs) they basically brought in a magnifying glass and they were like I think this is something um but I believe in you yeah so basically the inquest the investigation started on June 11th 1912 the coroner arrived at the scene at 9 a.m. Um, after viewing the crime scene, he later met with John Henry Hank Horton. Okay, wow. That was a mouthful. John Henry Hank Horton? <laughs> John Henry goes by Hank Horton. Okay. I see. The night watchman and sheriff. <clears throat> and all the, although the they called um, the members of the coroner's jury together in late afternoon. It was several hours before they actually entered the Moore home to view the bodies. Um, and after 10 p.m., they finally gave permission to the undertaker to remove the bodies. The fire station had been set up as a temporary morgue. Oh. Okay, they why? They just didn't right. even have a morgue. Did people not die there? <laughs> I think they probably just died of old age and they were like, fertilizer. Throw me in the trash. Um, I want to come back as a tree. Did you see that? Where you can be buried like, mm-hmm. that's what I want. Yeah, that's cool. So, it was close to 2 a.m. before all the bodies had been transported. They probably didn't have, like, eight people die all at once. That's probably what it was. Yeah, they probably <clears> just didn't have the space there. And on June 11th, the coroner's jury convened, and 14 witnesses were called to testify. So, the first witness. Oh. Mary, the oh. next-door neighbor. <clears throat> The first one to notice anything was a miss in the house. Okay. Um, she was the one, you know, who called the brother. She said, those chores ain't done, and that is not She said, cool. what the f- Um, She testified that she lived directly next door to the Moore family, and she had seen them as they left for church on Sunday evening. She went to bed at, like, 8 p.m., as one does, and did not see the family return that evening. <clears throat> She heard absolutely no noises from the house during the night, but she's probably like me and sleeps like a goddamn rock, so frankly, someone could be murdered outside my door and I'd probably sleep through it, but... Stop it! (laughs) There's a cat trying to get in this door. I've talked about Felix before being my biggest cat. He is in fucking protest that we walked through the front door and did not feed him a second breakfast. Mm -hmm. Like... And when he gets like that, he starts licking plastic yeah. or scratching like shit. Or eating the plant in the kitchen. But he does it like, he'll be like, he just wants to make that, whatever sound is going to like get you over there. <laughs> and that's what he's doing right now. So if you start to hear weird things, that's all. Um. <laughs> he's angry. So then she said she was out in her yard hanging the wash between 5 and 6 a.m. And by 7, she was like, okay, well, that's fucking weird. That's weird. Um, no one is out. So after attempting to wake the family, you know, knocking on the door, she let out their chickens, checked on the livestock. She's a good neighbor. Um, seeing that they were still tied up, she, um, called the, she called Rossmore, so that's the brother, to ascertain whether or not anything had happened to the family, um, and if there would be a reason that they wouldn't be home this morning. So, after speaking with the brother, um, one of Josiah's employees entered the barn to feed the horses, and then shortly after, Ross arrived and found a key to open the door. So, they were just taking care of business. She stayed on the porch while he looked in the kitchen, and then um, opened the door to the downstairs bedroom after seeing two bodies and bloodstained sheets. Um... He immediately returned to the porch where Mary was waiting and told her to uh, call the sheriff because something awful had happened. I'd say. Mm -hmm. She also testified that the doors had been locked with no key and no key was in the lock on the inside of the door. This is so interesting to me. Second witness. Ed Selly. He was employed by Josiah and his... At his implement dealership, and he arrived to tend the animals. I don't know what an implement dealership is. Probably <laughs> like. <laughs> I'll Google it. A storefront for implements? We can't always look dumb. <laughs> All right. The second witness to be called was Ed Selly, 
an employee of Josiah's. He testified that on that morning, on the 10th, he opened the store, okay, yes, and received a telephone call from Ross, Josiah's brother. Ross asked him if he knew where Josiah was, and he said that he called the Moore's home to see if he had, um, you know, gone for a visit. He called the, the father, their father's house, to see if he'd gone for a visit. That was confusing. Um... <laughs> They said that they had not seen him. So then Ed received a call from Mary, the neighbor, who asked him if Josiah was at the store and told him that the livestock needed tending. So he left the store and went to the home where he fed the horses. After returning to the store, he received another call telling him to bring the marshal to the house quickly. Oh, no. According to his testimony, the brother and the neighbor entered the house before he returned with the marshal. When they arrived, they all re-entered the house together. After seeing blood on the bed in the downstairs bedroom, he left the house. He was like, I'm out, bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> waiting outside. He was met by Harry Moore. I think that's the father. According to Ed, when the marshal came to the house, his comment was that there is somebody dead or they have been killed in every bed. Okay. At the time the house was locked, the marshal left to call for the coroner and the sheriff, and Sully returned to the store to call um, Why would they... Okay. I don't know. He called someone. He called someone. It says the John Deere people in Omaha to, to alert them of the news, but, like, why is he calling the John Deere company John in Deere Omaha? John Deere like the, um... Tractors. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Further research should have di- should have been done. It wasn't, but here we are. We're doing so- <laughs> okay. We're storytellers, really. So Ed returned to the house with his father after making the call to Omaha. So when Ed was questioned um, about possible en- enemies, he admitted that you know Joe had a brother-in-law that could have been a threat, and he said, "I have a brother-in-law that don't lack me." Said he would get even with me. The brother-in-law that Moore was referring to was Sam Moyer, and Sully denied having any other information regarding anyone who would have wanted to murder the Moore family, and was excused from the trial. But if it was a brother-in-law, it would mean that you're also killing your sister. Yeah. Confused. Yeah, I don't think you get... I don't... Okay. That was confusing. Yeah, I don't think that's it. <laughs> okay, proceed. The notes were confused. I'm gonna be honest... I am so high, and I just keep reciting in my head, like, don't be stupid. Yeah, that's what I was saying, but here we are. Don't be stupid. And I just keep looking over, and I'm like, she'll she'll look at me if I'm being stupid. She'll tell me. <laughs> just was so confused by that. But anyway. Okay, moving on. We're doing our best. Um, so the third witness to appear was um, Dr. J. Clark Cooper the first physician to arrive at the scene at the scene of the crime. So Cooper testified that he was called to the home at approximately 8.15 <clears throat> on the morning of June 10th when Hank Horton entered his office and said, come with me. Um, according to Cooper, when he, <laughs> when he asked Horton why, he um, was extremely frightened and replied, Joe Moore and all his family were murdered in bed. Ew. Everybody's, like, in shock, and it's very strong. Oh, I was so confused earlier because I forgot that they called Josiah Joe. And I was like, who the fuck is Joe? And, like, why are we talking about Joe's brother-in-law? But it's fucking Josiah. (laughs) So it did make sense. But whatever. Sweet Jesus. Okay. Right. The father. The father who was murdered. Um, But, yes, he said Joe Moore and all of his family were murdered in bed. And um, the doctor accompanied him to the house, waited outside while he retrieved the key. And when he returned, um, they entered the home together. According to Cooper, the group stepped into the dining room and then into the first floor bedroom. Quote, all we could see was an arm of someone sticking from under the edge of the cover with blood on the pillows. I'm sick. And I went over and lifted the covers and what and saw what I supposed was a body some entire stranger and a mere child at the back of the bed. I did not recognize them at all. <clears throat> Neither did any of the people, the others. 
then that were with me and we merely saw that they were dead and there were only two in the bed and then we stepped out into the parlor end quote honestly people in the 1912s said way too much (laughs) people in the 1912s talk like me like why did he say all of that when he could have said bless (laughs) (laughs) that'd be me i'd be like it was a sunday the sky was blue i heard a tweet in the distance it was a sparrow like what okay okay i'm just poetical yes when they reached the top of the stairs a lamp sat on the floor they moved the lamp out of their way and continued on to the bedroom um the lamp was sitting at the foot of the bed in our way so hank set it to one side to allow us to pass and hank was ahead of me he walked around to the corner and to the left hand side of the bed and turned the cover back and said here is joe I merely glanced over there the first time. This is a quote from a doctor. And I came up and saw that Mr. and Mrs. Moore were both dead. And I immediately went into the south room and left the other people with them. I do not know whether any of them come to me, came to me, to the south room. But I left plenty of them in the north room while I went to the south room. And then we began to count the children. See, like, why did he say all of that? Quote. Or it's like, oh, the south. Like, why are you, what the fuck is the South Room and the North Room, additionally? Um, and That's why didn't I, you just say, I left the room, not sure if anyone came with me, but I left. You said the same thing he said, but, like, mom. So much less, and so much less confusing. Anyway. <laughs> God. I'm trying so hard. Okay. Okay. So when, when questioned about the condition of the bodies, the doctor admitted that he did not touch the corpses. Okay, well. Wait, the doctor didn't touch the corpses? Like, isn't that your job? But I whatever. I don't want to be rude, but I <clears throat> am very Is it under the influence right now. And I know that doctors are supposed to touch the bodies. <laughs> the bedding? Yeah, like, don't you touch the fucking neck to see if they're... I mean, their head was smashed in, but... Yeah, but they could still be... No, they... I mean, not that they could do anything about it, but... So... Oh, the bedding was pretty stiff at the head and the blood and the brains on the pillow were all over the place. Oh, God. And he estimated that the moor and the cylinders had been dead for at least five to six hours. How are you going to estimate that without touching in the dead of night with a lantern? Correct. No, this was 9 a.m. 10 a.m. Oh, wait. Wait, I'm probably wrong. No, it was late. 8.15. Yeah. If Yeah. Well, it was late. P.M. Anyway. He also testified that he smelled no unusual or antiseptic odor in the house and that it seemed that the faces of the victims had been covered as if they were murdered. I saw no clothes sticking to any of the wounds in my superficial examinations. Neither did I see any clothing that had any holes in it. I mean, any of the sheets or pillows, nothing had a hole in it. (gasps) Quote. So that person changed their clothes and changed the sheets. Well, he covered all of their faces with different articles of clothing oh none of after those the had yeah i thought you were saying the clothes like they were sleeping and like wearing to bed like none of them had like holes on them like he had changed their clothes but they just met the stuff they put on their face yeah like the what they were covered in after they were murdered got it got it got it okay <clears throat> so fourth witness jesse moore mrs moore was the wife of josiah's brother ross who took the initial phone call from the neighbor. Okay. okay. So Jessie, the wife of Josiah's brother, um, she, the neighbor called her on the morning of the 10th and asked if anything had happened to um, their father. Jessie then placed a call to Josiah's store and spoke with Ed Selly. Selly called her back and told her that he could not reach anyone at the house and that he was not at the Elder Moore's or the Montgomery's house. A neighbor arrived at her home a little while later to tell her about the murders. Um, She also testified that she entered the home in the day to retrieve family pictures for the press. And when questioned about possible enemies, she had nothing to add. So very useless. Pictures for the press. Okay. Fifth witness, another doctor, F.S. Williams. So Dr. Williams was the physician that actually examined the bodies of the murder victims, unlike the first one who was useless. <laughs> he just um, peeped upon them with his eyes, I guess. <laughs> he glanced. <laughs> if I could make an assumption. 
If I could presume. Can you not? I presume. <laughs> then we're good. Like, let's do something useful instead. I hate <laughs> Okay. So, Dr. Williams was the fifth witness called, you know, at the trial. Williams was the second physician to enter the home. Williams testified that Ed Selly stopped him on the street on the morning of June 10th and told him that a doctor was wanted at the Moore home for an examination. He went on to say that he arrived at the house and Dr. Cooper and another party were coming out onto the porch. So the useless doctor and then all the people he was with were coming out of the house. And his entourage. <laughs> his you can all entourage. get the fuck out. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> So Cooper and another person he thought was Hank Horton re-entered with him. Williams went on to testify that upon entering the home, he smelled no odor of anesthetic, anesthetic, excuse me, no odor of anesthetic. I don't know what that means. Like if they used anesthetic on the, on the people, why would they still smell it though? Like 16 hours later, wouldn't it evaporate by then? Well, I mean, I guess that's still a clue because maybe certain ones do, certain ones don't. Maybe it was just, like, an observation. Maybe that helps him with, like, the time of death or something. Like, yeah. I don't know. Nothing seems to be out of place, and the faces of the bodies remained covered. When he asked, when he was asked to describe the position of the bodies, he went on to say that um, in Joe and Sarah's room, they were facing toward the east with their heads to the west. This is too many, like, north, south, east, west just, shit. But say, like, Joe were... lay on the south side or the left side of the bed on his back and his left hand was on his chest their faces were all beaten in um so that's not great and sarah was lying beside joe um in the bedroom to the south at the left hand (laughs) he said just like i don't have the brain capacity like i don't know what north south east west is with no fucking identifiers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know where the city is. This is not helpful to me. Say so left or right. Um, okay, but in this room, there was a cot and another bed standing there with a little boy in it. He was sleeping on his stomach, and the top of his head was smashed in. There was an undershirt on top of his head um, soaked with the blood, and um, the doctor lifted it off to see who it was, and then... Um, Honestly, that's just too much detail about these children. So I'm just going to scoot forward a little bit. And yeah, when he entered the downstairs bedroom, obviously he saw the additional two girls. So all the kids were sharing a room upstairs and they were all axe murdered to death. Okay, let's shorten it. We don't need all the details. No, it's freaking sad. And And if you want to report accurate stuff, but it doesn't mean you have to know gross stuff every time. Yeah, they were attacked in their beds. And when he entered the downstairs bedroom, from their um, appearance, basically, you know, they were were still in bed together. But the one girl was, like, further down in the bed. Um, He didn't recognize either of the little girls um, downstairs. I thought they looked familiar, but she was... Apparently, they were all very mutilated, so it was very hard to identify any of the bodies, but they knew that the Moore family lived there, so... They were like, oh, these are them. Right. And, um, when he was questioned about the possibility of sexual assault on any of the victims, he said it was no. Basically, he looked to see if there was any possible assault, um, but he didn't notice any. Okay. I don't know what that means, and also, how do you check for that in 1912? Well, I I think... (laughs) Gynecology's still pretty fucking historic. It <laughs> really historic. is. I said historic. Listen. Pre- it's really historic. <laughs> it's just, wait. I think you can check for abrasions, and they'll usually be cuts from, like, struggling. So they and, sh- and they can check, for, you know what I mean? So, like, they can't do a ton, but you could clearly see, like, bruising or abrasions. Yeah. And so he said that there were no footprints at the scene. All right, Scooby-Doo. I don't know how you fucking know that, but apparently 100 people traipsed through this place and none of them had footprints okay believable and now he's saying i didn't notice any assault how would you know sir (laughs) you didn't even notice footprints (laughs) the accuracy Uh, where's the lie though where's the lie okay the sixth witness edward landers um he was a summer summer visitor to his mother's home near the moore house okay very helpful the coroner 
um, called Edward to the stand. He was visiting his mother for the summer and was staying just a few houses away from the moors. He testified that he went to bed shortly after 9 p.m. Okay. Um, oh, okay. But he heard a sound that impressed him and sounded like, quote, like one boy hooting for another on the outside somewhere, according to Landers. The sound occurred at regular intervals, but it didn't connect it or he didn't connect it with anything and fell asleep shortly thereafter. What? Can we just like dial back the fucking adjectives a little bit? I'm so like hooting. <laughs> what is hooting? Can you describe that for Hoo-dee-hoo! me? Like, <laughs> Like, what? It sounds to me like he... I think it's just the wording, but I think someone was screaming. (laughs) I think someone was screaming, sir, and you ignored it. And it impressed upon him. And it impressed upon you, but then you went back to sleep (laughs) shortly thereafter. Even Felix is pissed. He's always screaming at the top of his lungs. He's like, Um, He said, when he was pressed for a time, he said it was like approximately 11 p.m. And then he further testified that he didn't think anything of it at the time. The next morning when he heard about the murders, it occurred to him that the sounds may have been a woman moaning. What? Okay. <clears throat> the only strangers uh, that he admitted to seeing in the area of the Moore home were paper cleaners that had stopped by his mother's place at approximately 10.15 Saturday night. And he could shed no light on what time the Moors may have retired for the evening. He sounds sus. Uh, very sus because it could have been a woman moaning i mean you said it was one boy hooting for another earlier so i'm just a little confused as to now how it's a woman moaning no i have so many merch ideas you can get bestie shirts one says hootie and the other one says (laughs) okay like what Oh my god. So he was dismissed for being useless additionally, except that's con- like that's that's sus. Okay. The seventh witness. Ross Moore. So this is Josiah's brother, the first person to enter the enter the house <clears throat> after the murders. So he testified that approximately at approximately 8:15 a.m. on Sunday morning <clears throat> The neighbor called him to inquire as to the health of his parents. Um, she went on to tell him that she had already spoken to his wife and thought it unusual that the Moore house was so quiet. <clears throat> he walked over to Joe's store and spoke with Ed, who had also said that Joe hadn't been in um, yet and that, yes, he too found it unusual. According to Ross, he went over to the house and checked the barn to see if Joe's team was still there. He... And the neighbor tried, you know, tapping on the windows, calling for someone, but all the blinds were down and windows were covered, so they couldn't see into the house at all. He tried to... Oh, he then used one of his keys to open the door, <laughs> which I still find funny. Because, I just... Like, <laughs> like, why did you bang on the windows that were all covered and yell and shout for any amount of time other than no minutes at all? <laughs> no minutes at all sometimes you just are so funny and i just like it's so good um but then he used the keys that he had in his pocket to open the door and he went on to say that he entered the house he noted that nothing looked out of place he pushed open the door um, saw blood on the sheets. He did not wait long enough to see anything else. And then he ran outside to the neighbor and told her to call the marshal. So, as we all have heard many other ways. Then, the eighth witness. How many witnesses are there? I don't know. I think, I swear you said like 14. I can't remember, to be honest with you, but here we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fenwick Moore, another of Josiah Moore's brothers. Oh, okay. He wasn't very helpful because it was a one-liner. So he (laughs) lived in Red Oak, and he testified that he didn't know much. So the ninth witness to appear. What a time (laughs) to be the fuck alive. You get called in for questioning on a murder, and you're like, you know what I know? He didn't know much and had no idea who would have wanted him dead. They'd be like, all right, your excuse. You live with Madeline. What do you know about her murder? And I'd be like, don't know much. Not much. (laughs) 
And I would just look at them awkwardly to let them know that I'm done answering. <laughs> and then they would just be like, all right. That is months. all. <laughs> we'll see you at the next church like that. camp. <laughs> Where are they? Kids. Whatever. They'll see us there. Uh, okay. So, the ninth witness, Marshall Hank Horton, um, who spent very little time on the stand, additionally. Uh, he simply confirmed that he was approached by Ed between 8.15 and 8.30 Monday morning and was asked to accompany him to the Moore house. Once he entered the house with Ed, upon seeing the bodies, he immediately went to get Dr. Cooper, the useless doctor, and re-entered the house with Cooper. Um, he then confirmed there were no unusual odors. The blinds were down. The bodies were covered. Great. Okay. <clears throat> Which, by the way, covering all their faces after doing that implies remorse mm-hmm. which is surprising because the violent way in which they were killed implies rage mm-hmm. yeah something very which is why i think it was a man and a woman i don't think it was one person i think it was two people probably but why i need more information <clears throat> okay proceed so 10th and 11th witnesses um josiah's nephew and brother Lee okay. Van Yilder and Harry Moore. <clears throat> Got okay. it. So, Lee, Josiah's nephew, and Harry, his brother. Um, Lee admitted that he had just spoken to Joe um, very briefly on Sunday afternoon. He could also shed no light um, to his whereabouts. Or to the whereabouts of his father. Oh, yes. Okay. So, Lee's father is probably... The one that they think killed them because he was the only one that that guy could think of was having, who was angry with them. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because okay. it's his nephew. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know. Anyway. Harry was questioned about um, the whole situation. He had also almost no knowledge of Joe's business or personal affairs and didn't add anything helpful. So... Thank I want you. to be a witness. Thank you for your... your... <laughs> Do you have any opinions? Okay. No. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so then the, the um, sister and father of the two girls, the two guests, um, Blanche was the eldest of the Stillinger children, and she said that Joe Moore had called the home at 6 p.m. on Sunday night and asked to speak to their mother. She told him that their mother was outside. He went on to tell her that the girls were going to church with his family and he didn't want to walk back to the their grandmother's in the dark. Okay, but he walked back to his house in the dark. Um, <laughs> he then asked if it would be okay if they stayed with the Moores overnight. She then told Mr. Moore that she thought it would be okay if they stayed. After a few other questions regarding her sister's ages, she was excused. Um, After questioning the father about his hired help and whether or not he knew of anyone who would have committed this crime, he, um, oh, the coroner asked if he had called the Moore house on on Sunday morning. My wife did yes, he answered. One question about the time of the call, he said, I remember she phoned about three different times trying to get the house. I did not ask her about the particular time, but she expected the children back just before school time. So, there's that. At least it wasn't, I don't know. And then we have come to the final. um, Witness? Witness. And then we'll get to the suspects. But that will be part two. Correct. Because she's a long one. <clears throat> she's thick. But the final witness that they called, Charles Moore, another of Josiah's brothers. Um, after the Stillinger's testimony, Charles Moore was called. He was also one of Joe's brothers. He could not identify the axe believed to be the murder weapon. But he did admit that Joe kept one in the coal shed. And he also testified that he believed it was a habit for Joe to lock up the house from the inside when they went to sleep. Duh. (laughs) I went there several mornings after the team to go in the country. And of course, I always went to the dining room in the front and they would not have the door open. And I would have to wait until someone came and opened the door. They would lock the rest of the house on the inside and lock that door and keep the key on the inside. Quote. Uh, so they lived. So they locked their door at night. 
The fucking there were so the many audacity. words. The <laughs> audacity. There were so many words. The audacity. We should make a TikTok like on a horse, and it's like me on a quest to find the fucking audacity. <laughs> like why? That was a quote. Ugh. Okay, but anyway. So, so they, they, yes, they did lock their house at night. Confirmed. So they locked their house at night, and that's all he could fucking contribute. So basically, no one knows jack shit. Um, Which is no like, one knows anyone who could hate him except for apparently this um, brother-in-law, potentially, that no one knows the whereabouts of. Mm. So. Great. <laughs> what you're saying is we've made a lot of headway. Well, it's a wonder that it's 100 years later and it hasn't been solved. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's truly a mystery. It's truly. To me. I'm not sure where they went wrong, but. <laughs> it was everywhere. From the start. From the start. Okay, and then... But yeah, so that's part one, and we will be returning with part two, where we dive into the suspects. I can't so, wait. It's, it's going to get good. It's been real good so <laughs> it's far, gonna so get I good. can't wait. Okay, bye! Uh, bye! Bye!